0: The American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
2: Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org on iTunes. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, NetRoots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn. And Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling adventure that we call The Bradcast. Uh, it is, of course, a, uh, a, a special broadcast today as we are following up once again on a uh, on a debate, this time the very first Democratic debate for 2016, even though it is only 2015. Uh, in any event, as uh, most uh, listeners by now know, uh, listeners to the broadcast know, that we focus more on the fight for democracy itself in this country rather than the the horse races that play out within it. Uh, for example, on yesterday's broadcast, uh, if you missed it, you can download it anytime at dot @bradblog.com, sorry about that, bradblog.com or over at the uh, archives, of course, at kpfk.org. Yesterday we took on Fox News and judge Andrew Napolitano's incredible assertion That California's new motor voter bill, which was just signed over the weekend by the governor, that that new motor voter bill will now allow non-citizens to vote in this state. Yes, that's actually what they said on Fox News. And they weren't misspeaking. It, It was incredible. Now, the, that new law, uh, which was signed by the governor, allows for registration of eligible voters when they carry out any business with the, uh, with the DMV. It automatically signs them up to, uh, to be voters. It may result in as many as six and a half million new voters out here in the Golden State. But Fox News is lying about it. So, as uh, Dean Logan, the county clerk of Los Angeles County, which is the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation... Uh, the one that I happen to live and vote in, by the way. Uh, Dean Logan explained to us in an exclusive statement for the broadcast that the law allows no such thing. It allows only eligible voters, in other words, those that are citizens, for example, to be registered to vote. And after we got off the air, we also heard back from the Office of Secretary of State Alex Padilla out here in California who confirmed What County Clerk Dean Logan had to say about that law and confirmed that Fox News, what they were telling viewers, was categorically false. You can listen to the full episode, as I say, over at Bradblog.com or the archives at KPFK.org. But that's the sort of thing we usually focus on, uh, the mechanics of democracy or what is left of it uh, in this country. But on days like today, following a major political debate, well, it's a bit more difficult to avoid The horse race. And to that end, the first Democratic debate was a stark contrast on Tuesday night from those that we have seen so far this year on the Republican side of the aisle, where the contest has been a blur of personal attacks and one liners and really entertaining food fights uh, with Donald Trump. But uh, Democrats were on the stage in Las Vegas on Tuesday night, focused largely on far more substantive issues and policies though there were a few more fireworks between candidates than many of the uh, beltway geniuses had predicted beforehand. In any event, the debate included discussions of climate change. Imagine that. Renewable energy, college affordability, prescription drugs, terrorism, civil liberties. And so forth, even though the debate moderator, Anderson Cooper, at times, in my opinion, seemed to do his best to offer up right wing and or beltway talking points in the guise of questions. But perhaps the best description for the evening came from Governor Martin O'Malley, one of the five participants, former Baltimore governor. And uh, in his closing remarks for the debate, I think he may have uh, summed things up just about as well as anybody.
3: What you heard tonight was a very, very different debate than from from the two presidential Republican debates. On this stage, you didn't hear anyone uh, denigrate women. You didn't hear anyone make racist comments about new American immigrants. You didn't hear anyone speak ill of another American because of their religious belief. What you heard instead on this stage tonight was an honest search for the answers that'll move our country forward. I truly believe that we are standing on the threshold of a new era of American progress. Talk to our young people under 30, because you'll never find among them people that want to bash immigrants or people that want to deny rights to gay couples that was
2: Governor Martin O'Malley last night in his closing statement. Uh, and of course that may or may not be the last we hear of Governor Martin O'Malley <laughs> during today's discussion. Uh, in, in any event, it was uh, largely an opportunity for many in America to compare and contrast the two front runners, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders side by side for the first time, with many seeing Sanders for the first time at all on a national level and many hearing about substantive issues from Clinton. For a change, after the uh, corporate media has uh, largely been obsessed with the phony GOP-created scandals concerning Benghazi and her email server and and so much else for so long. Uh, In any event, here to talk about all of this uh, today for the hour is our special guests, uh, Heather Digby Parton, who we're delighted to have back. She's joined us so far for uh, for all of the uh, debates so far this year. Of course, she is known as Just Digby, quite often, from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's a contributing writer to Salon and the 2014 recipient of the Sidney Hillman Foundation's Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast.
4: Thanks for having me,
2: Brad. Always great to uh, have you here. And uh, joining us is another old friend. Uh, we haven't had him on for a while, though, so it's good to have him back. Eric Bullert senior fellow at Media Matters for America. He's the author of Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changes Politics and the Press. And... Lapdogs, how the press rolled over for Bush. Previously, he wrote on staff for Salon and Rolling Stone, but you can find his excellent work at Mediamatters.org. Uh, hey, Eric, welcome back to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. Okay, sort of an old-school uh, uh, blogger's uh, uh, day today. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Eric, uh, I'm going to guess, I don't remember, but uh, you probably wrote about or at least cited uh, Digby Heather Digby Parton in, in Bloggers on the Bus. Uh, am I guessing right about that? Yeah,
5: absolutely. I yeah. interviewed her. I went out to Santa Monica and we chatted about her amazing tale on the Internet. It was great.
2: All right. Yep. Also uh, here with us today, as usual, our producer Desi Doyan, my co-host on the Green News Report, as well. How are you, Desi Doyan? I'm
1: doing well. It was a fascinating
2: debate. Uh, well, we'll see how fascinating it was. All right, before we get to that, <laughs> uh, any uh, last time we uh, after the Republican uh, debate, Heather, uh, we talked about we had you and uh, and Fred Carger, former uh, Republican uh, c- uh, candidate for in the twenty uh, four wait I'm losing my math 2012 presidential race uh Republican we talked about conflicts of interest uh do you have a candidate a dog in this hunt so far Heather
4: you know what I I don't I mean I've long been a a major supporter and fan of Bernie Sanders you know I I'm way over on the left side of the dial so everything he says just you know rings true to me but also I am you know thoroughly convinced that that Hillary Clinton would be a fine president, and as a huge part of me, I I am a woman, uh, and it would be a thrilling thing for me to see the first woman president. So this is one of those great races for me on the Democratic side where I feel really good (laughs) about... the candidates that are in it, and uh, I'm you know, I'm happy to watch this thing unfold as it will.
2: Now, you do have, we should say, uh, you are founder or co-founder of uh, ACT, uh, which one is it? Blue America. Blue America, thank you. Uh, and Blue America has been supporting uh, Bernie Sanders or helping to raise money for him, am I correct yes. on that?
4: Yes. Okay. Um, we, in fact, we had a draft Bernie Sanders page on our uh, ACT Blue <laughs> for years. I mean, literally for years. So, I mean, Bernie Sanders was kind of the dream presidential candidate for Blue America for many years. I personally have not endorsed uh, either one, and and I actually don't plan to. I'll be happy to support either one in the general election.
2: And uh, Eric Bollert, before uh, Andrew Breitbart died, he explained to me very clearly that you and Media Matters for America were in the tank for Hillary Clinton. So would you like to uh, give us your uh, full uh, conflict of interest in that regard?
5: I'm sure that's just one of many truths he um, <laughs> he, he uh, told you about Media Matters. Obviously, David Brock founded Media Matters. David Brock, as people see on television, is a Hillary supporter um, and has been, has been close with the Clintons for years. Media Matters is just in the the business of media misinformation i've i 've um i've written columns about what I think is crummy uh Bernie Sanders media coverage and how they 're not covering enough uh but yeah I mean certainly people have made that claim about media matters that that were in the tank They made that same claim in two thousand and eight and you know and i 've probably written two or three hundred articles defending Barack Obama since you know from right wing nonsense so we 're in the business of right wing uh, misinformation, and that's what we do.
2: And and you have not personally uh, come out one way or another for any particular case. I mean, no, I, no. I, I follow your Twitter feed, and you you have been nothing wrong with this, but you have been very supportive of Hillary Clinton, at least uh, in response to uh, the attacks from the right.
5: Well, the me- you know, it's it's it, it all revolves around the media, you know, and particularly on Twitter. You know, I don't wake up every day thinking. I can't wait to read awful Hillary coverage. But by, like, the time I'm not even done with breakfast, my, my blood pulse is, like, way too high. I mean, I'll just give you, like, a quick example. Like, last week or, you know, within the last week, you know, she set the record for a non-incumbent. She raised the most money in the third quarter of any non-incumbent um, uh, uh, candidate ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not kidding. The Washington Post listed that as bad news for her. I mean, so you read stuff like this and, you you know, you read about her collapsing campaign and you're just like, what planet am I living on? What happened to just kind of describing what's unfolding in the campaign? When did we get into the invention and the fantasy business in terms of campaign coverage? So that's where, you know, Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton has clearly been the target of some of the craziest Probably most dishonest campaign coverage that I've seen, and I've been watching this a long time. So I think that's why people probably might see me as synonymous with, you know, w- with her campaign or, or defending her or things like that.
2: Desi Doyen, do you have a candidate so far in this race, one way or another?
1: No, no, I don't. But okay. you know, I'm actually I was very impressed with uh, with the subject matter that was covered. It seemed very substantive last night. Uh, very much unlike the Republican debates that we've been seeing. So, um, you know, I'm pretty pleased with the crop that we have uh, right now at the moment to choose from.
2: You said crop, right? Crop. That's probably okay. not the right word. No, the that's field. okay. I wasn't sure to crop or crap, but no, okay. I said crop. And crop like <laughs> in a
1: field, you know, yeah. and I think that oh, I just want to point out really quick before we get too far past this. You know, Eric, you mentioned what planet are they on? And I think that that is primarily the big difference between the GOP debates and the Democratic debates. They are on two different planets, two well, different realities.
2: And we're getting ahead of ourselves because actually, uh, uh, Heather wrote about exactly that at Salon today, about the two different planets that these parties are on. Well,
1: great minds think alike, <laughs> there obviously. <you> go.
2: Uh, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a moment. And me, just for the record, uh, I I support no candidates, um, and, and I probably won't throughout the entire election. Uh, I figure that all of the candidates have enough supporters. I support the voters and their ability to vote, even for terrible candidates. So that's just me. All right. Um, anything either of you would like to say about either Lincoln Chafee? Or Jim yeah. Webb's contribution to the debate last night, or even Martin O'Malley, for that matter, uh, b- before we get into the meat of this thing, because I don't want to be accused of uh, ignoring them completely, and we may never get back to them at all. So, Heather, let me start with you. Uh, any thoughts on those guys, just in case we don't get back to them here?
4: Well, I mean, I think that Lincoln Chafee will be recalled for saying that he is a block of granite <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's exact. You know, they used to say Al Gore was a wooden candidate, and Chafee you now he's a block of granite. And Jim Webb will be remembered for pretty much saying, you know, he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> and I don't know that anybody's ever done that in a presidential campaign, <laughs> uh, presidential debate before. So th- those would be my takeaways now, on now, those two guys.
2: Now, to be clear, of course, he he didn't shoot the man in Reno. He <laughs> shot the man <laughs> while he was serving uh, valiantly, I suppose, in uh, in the Vietnam War. He was a, a hero. And he, he did kill a man. But you're right. Uh, I, I was struck by, uh, hey, who's this Republican guy on the. Jim Webb would be a really good candidate for the Republican Party, would he not?
4: They were loving him. Ann Coulter was tweeting, I love this guy. And then he said something she didn't like. I can't remember because she, she's okay, I'm back to Trump. But yeah, I mean, it was. She was very exciting, excited. And I was seeing a lot of uh, Trump Webb. Uh, you know, sort of sort of, uh, yeah, discussion among the right wing tweeters. Trump Web
2: 2016.
4: Yes. And the fact is, is that, you know, in the dredge poll um, Webb came in second. So, you know, I mean, I think that just shows what a what a tremendous uh, appearance he he made last night.
2: Uh, Eric, uh, Eric Bullard. um, Why is Martin O'Malley running? Is he running for president or is he running for vice president?
5: Uh, you know, I, you know, on paper, his resume looks like exactly what you would do in the past. You know, rising star, Democratic Party, mayor, governor, Eastern, po- you know, a state with a big population. Uh, it just hasn't clicked. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure why. He he says some interesting things. Um, obviously he's overshadowed by both uh, Sanders and, and, and Clinton. What's interesting about Webb, though, and, and, you know, and Heather started at the beginning saying she's loving this debate, she loves both the main candidates, and she's a liberal. And, you know, we, we kind of lose sight that, you know, for decades there wasn't a lot of, for liberals to like on Democratic presidential mm-hmm. debates. You know, there was a lot of blue dog Democrats. How do you appeal to those moderates? You know, the NRA bashing that went on last night was unthinkable, you know, a decade or two ago because Democrats were so afraid, you know, about losing those votes. And Jim Webb uh, kind of represented the type of candidate we often saw on, on a Democratic debate stage. And it was interesting, to, last night he was so far out of, you know, step with the the rest of the party, the rest of the candidates, and the rest of the Democratic voters. So he was a helpful, I think, reminder of where sort of, frankly, you know, corporate Democratic Party was a few decades ago, and, and frankly, the very exciting direction it's going in now.
2: And actually, let me, uh, well, actually, let me do one more question. We'll come back, and, and hopefully we'll get to some uh, audio from that uh, gun exchange. And, and you're right, it was rather remarkable. They were all bragging about, oh, no, I have a D-minus from the NRA. No, I have an F from the NRA. Uh, it was It was kind of incredible. Uh, so we'll get to some of that in a, in a minute. I'm going to take a, a quick break. But before I do, Eric uh, Bullard, you had tweeted last night, during the debate, that the chances of Biden, uh, uh, chances of Biden's running fell by double digits tonight. Uh, that thought was echoed by uh, Steve Kornacki uh, from uh, MSNBC. He said almost at the exact same time, Hillary's biggest achievement tonight may end up keeping Biden out of the race. All right, I'll bite. Why did uh, last night's debate uh, serve to push Biden out of the contest?
3: I mean just based on
5: the chatter and, and no one has shown they've had any real uh, pipeline into the Biden camp but the chatter was you know if Hillary stumbles at the, at the debate if she stumbles at the um, Benghazi committee testimony next week you know Joe Biden will sort of be there on the wings to swoop in this is part of the you know the collapse narrative that a lot of the press has been pushing yes she has a big lead but Something's not quite right. This whole thing could just crater at any moment, which we've we've never really heard that kind of chatter about any other front-runner campaign before. But the press was very sure that, you know, this whole thing could, again, just kind of fall apart, and there would be Biden. But, I, you know, anyone who was watching that debate last night showed, you know, I think they didn't come away with, gee, she's kind of shaky, or gee, this whole thing uh, is kind of held together by tape. Uh, She came across as a very forceful, uh, powerful woman who knew what she was doing and did not seem at all uh, like her campaign was about to collapse in any way, shape, or form.
2: Uh, Heather uh, Parton, before we go to the break, I was reminded last night, watching the debate, um, why Hillary Clinton did so well back in 2008. She's really good, it seems, in these debate settings. Not as good, it seems, in the in the speech settings, which is just out there giving a speech. I've been decidedly unimpressed by her over the past uh, few months in this campaign, but uh, last night... It was uh, a reminder of two thousand and eight. Did did you have that same sense?
4: Well, sure. I mean, I think she's been bizarrely, as 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 uh, Eric says, that she's been bizarrely sort of underestimated during this entire process. I mean, this you know this is a long campaign. It's going to feel like it's gone on for a decade by the time it's done, <laughs> and you know you have to pace yourself through these things. I mean, and and the idea that somehow or another Clinton was just this this abject failure. Um, because there have been ups and downs, and, you know, because the Republicans came after her. I mean, please, anybody who didn't expect that. Even more so that the press wasn't going to be extremely hostile to her. They always have been. In fact, I'm looking right now at a quote from Mark Halperin from July of 2014. He was on uh, Morning Joe. And he said, I don't like this. Remember, July 2014. So this is a while back. And Mm -hmm. he says, I don't ever like to overstate the media's role. But the media has a pretty big role in the presidential process. I think Hillary Clinton's talking about what is the most important issue, determining whether she'll be president right now. She'll raise the money. She'll have policy positions. She needs to find a way, we talked about this the other day, to change the narrative about how she's being covered. Right now, she's destined to get horrible coverage if she runs for president. Uh, You know, I mean, this is Mark Halperin. So, I mean, this was was baked in the cake. And, And anybody who didn't see that coming was not paying attention. Clinton has always had to be a sort of a, you know, a -a rope-a-dope survivor, one of these people who just takes the blows and keeps on going. And, you know, these things kind of come in waves. And so last night, you know, was I surprised to see her uh, do well in a debate? Of course not. She's, she's, you know, pretty you know major politician made you know been in many debates in her life (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. been around for a long time she's a professional she knows what she's doing i I, I guess people thought she was going to you know crumble to the floor in in (laughs) tears in a puddle (laughs) of tears or something (laughs) i don't know
2: well i I didn't of course i didn't think that but i I just forgot that in this setting she is quite impressive whereas i don't find her to be quite that impressive out on the stump at the rallies and so forth but in in these debates she seems to be impressive. Which is somewhat ironic uh, due to the controversy about the the party, the DNC, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz trying to limit the number of debates and all of the other candidates calling for more debates. I think Hillary would be well served with more debates. In any event, I got to get to a break here. We will come back with much more Eric Bollert, uh, Heather Digby-Parton, Desi Doyen, and of course me, Brad Friedman, right here on the Bradcast in our uh Democratic Debate Special. I'm Brad. Stay tuned.
4: Whether or not you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up.
0: Welcome
2: back. This is your broadcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com here with you with our special debate coverage and my special guests. Heather Digby-Parton from Salon and from uh, Digby's Hullabaloo blog, and Eric Bullard from Media Matters. Uh, okay, guys, uh, yeah, well, uh, Hillary was getting up again last night, but uh, the big contest, the big question was, how would she and Bernie Sanders fare one-on-one? Uh, I kind of thought he was uh, knocked off his game a little bit at the top, but... Um, when he was asked about the uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, movement, uh, and and sort of a trick question, and this is clip number seven, Desi Doyen, Um it, it was it seemed to me sort of a, a, a trick question. Uh, do Black Lives Matter or do all lives matter? Here's what Bernie Sanders had to say in response.
0: Black lives matter, and the reason the reason those words matter is the African-American community knows that on any given day, some innocent person like Sandra Bland can get into a car, and then three days later, she's gonna end up dead in jail, or their kids are gonna get shot. We need to combat institutional racism from top to bottom, and we need major, major reforms in a broken criminal justice system in which we have more people in jail than china and i intend to tackle that issue to make sure that our people have education and jobs rather than jail cells
2: that was Bernie Sanders last night on the stage in Las Vegas, the Democratic debate. He was, of course, uh, tripped up by Black Lives Matter protesters over the summer. And uh, Heather uh, Parton, I, I think you might have been there. Were you there at Netroots when he was shut I down? I was by, not. No, oh, you weren't I there? I wasn't, no. Well, he was shut down by protesters at the Netroots uh, conference. And as many see support in the African American community as currently key to Clinton's front runner status, how did you think Bernie did in handling that question uh, on Tuesday night? Um, And and is this what what it's going to come down to? uh, Support within the African American community between Bernie and uh, fighting over that between Bernie and and Hillary Clinton.
5: The um, you know I thought his answer was good last night. I thought most of the I thought he did very well. And, and if you want to talk about the black votes, he's, he, look, if you go back eight years, he is, he's in the same polling position where Barack Obama was versus Hillary Clinton. Fall into the, you know, the fall or autumn in, before the Iowa-New Hampshire primaries, Hillary had a 20, 25-point lead. You know, the question is, you know, is Bernie Sanders going to be Barack Obama or is he going to be more of a Howard Dean and a Bill Bradley in terms of when it comes time to winning elections? Um you know, as you mentioned, the problem with Bernie Sanders, you know, he's polling at 4 percent among blacks in South Carolina and things like that. So when you get away from Iowa and New Hampshire and you go into places like Nevada and in South Carolina, they're much more diverse. Uh, there isn't any indication yet he's going to be able to do what Obama did and peel away a whole bunch of um uh, 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 voters from Hillary Clinton, but you know, uh, but last night I thought I thought Bernie was Bernie, and I thought he was great. And for so people who had never seen him, who had just been hearing about who's this guy from Vermont, uh, I can't imagine Democratic voters. A lot of Democratic voters watched that and said, "Oh, he's not for me. I don't I don't like him." Of course, I think that you know, talking about colleges and you know, college education and and and, and corporate greed and climate change, all those things. The problem strategically, he got a bit of a, you know, a bad luck, and that guns came up right away, mm-hmm. and Hillary just went right in. She did not pause. She did not say, well, you know, I know and respect my friend from Vermont, and we have differences. <laughs> she went in kind of with a... Uh, she went in for a little kill there. She, she did. Uh, let, let, not... Let's
2: play a little bit of, of that exchange since uh, that's come up a couple of times here. Uh, I think we have this exchange between uh, Sanders and Clinton and O'Malley on guns right at the top of this debate.
0: You voted against the Brady Bill, and mandated background checks and a waiting period. You said that holding gun manufacturers legally responsible for mass shootings is a bad idea. Now you say you're reconsidering that. Which is it? Shield the gun companies from lawsuits or oh. not? Uh, let's begin, Anderson, by understanding uh, that Bernie Sanders has a D-minus voting record from the NRA. I supported a ban on assault weapons, strongly supported instant background checks. There are thousands of people in this country today who are suicidal, who are homicidal, but can't get the mental health care because they don't have insurance or they're too poor. Do you want to shield gun companies from lawsuits or not? not? Secretary Clinton, is Bernie Sanders tough enough on guns?
4: No, not at all. I think that we have to look at the fact that we lose 90 people a day from gun violence. This has gone on too long, and it's time the entire country stood up against the NRA.
3: Because of the way that the NRA gets its way in our Congress, and we take a back seat, it's time to stand up and pass comprehensive gun safety legislation as a nation. (laughs) Senator Sanders, I don't think I am pandering. But
0: you have not been in the United States Congress.
2: So uh, that was uh, they were sort of uh, fighting about a vote that was taken some years ago concerning uh, whether to give uh, immunity to gun manufacturers and so forth when their products kill people. Uh, Heather uh, Digby Parton, how did uh, how did he do that came right off the, the right at the top? And Hillary Clinton seem to go for the jugular on that issue. I'm wondering, is that uh, going to hurt him in the Democratic primary? But is that one of those issues that could help Bernie Sanders if he became the nominee in the general election, that he's uh, not completely anti-gun?
4: Well, you know, there are those who are making that that case, that this is actually a strategy, and it kind of echoes the Howard Dean strategy back in 2004, uh, thinking that maybe you know he could make inroads among the uh, white working class gun owner types who might be interested in his, um, you know, in his views on on trade and on jobs and on economics, but they are you know very very attached to their guns. I, I really don't think that's the case. I think Bernie was dealing with a reality, which was in order to get elected, he had he had to do what the NRA wanted him to do most of the time this is the truth. It happens all over the country. He's not the only one. And the most shocking thing is to see them actually having this argument in a presidential debate against the NRA. I really would never have guessed. You know, sadly, it's taken this, you Mm. know, this river of blood that we are seeing from mass shootings to wake people up that this is a problem. And it happened after 2000. I mean, there had always been this back and forth. The NRA went completely nuts in the 90s. Wayne LaPierre came in, and they became this... this hardcore obstructionist, take-no-prisoners organization. There was no room for compromise, and there still isn't. And in 2000, when Al Gore, you know, barely won, I mean, he won the popular vote, but he didn't win it by a large margin. Everybody claimed that this was because of guns, and the Democrats all backed off and decided that this was not going to be an issue that they would run on. Well, that's changed, thank God. Mm. And uh, even, and, and Bernie is sort of stuck with the, you know, lingering sort of problems with that. I don't think it's a strategy. I mean, maybe it is, but it really doesn't seem like it. I think Bernie's a genuine person, a sincere um, legislator with integrity, and I think that this is the one case where he had to, uh, you know, kind of cut around the margins a little bit, and he's stuck with it now because it was a big deal, and it is a big deal in his rural state. Um, You know, having said that, I think that Clinton was smart to do this for the sake of the party and for the sake of the country and, you know, dead people in mm-hmm. in on campuses around the country uh and churches and elsewhere that you know this is something that that the democrats have to start taking a very very hard line and i think that it was of course it's opportunistic for her uh to go after bernie on this but it is also a you know it is a place where this sort of points out where the democrats have gone wrong in the past and i'm sure she was you know part of that um, calculation in some ways, you know, sort of higher circles of Democratic Party politics. But um, it's changed, and that, those days are over. And, well,
2: that's uh, good news. Yeah. It is good news. That it's, is good. It's, news. it's
4: again. It's, it's more of that. What, what Eric was saying before. You know. I mean, here we are watching this very liberal debate. I mean, I can hardly believe it. I don't even. I'm going. Oh my God. You know. Look at what these people are saying. And you know, we're debating democratic socialism and talking about Denmark and even Hillary Clinton, who is as mainstream a politician as it gets, is you know running right alongside and doing all this. So this is good news. The, uh, I, really, all Democrats, all liberals, all people of conscience well, it, <laughs> should be somewhat pleased. Here. It, it,
2: it does seem like good news. I was as I was watching last night. I'm thinking, of course. Oh man! Well, this debate is going to do you know nowhere as well, obviously, as the Republican debate. They had a record, right. 24 million or something uh, viewers for that. But the numbers today, Eric Bollert, um, people are interested, apparently, in substantive debates because I think it was a record for Democratic debate. Fifteen million beating the previous record of something like 10 million. And that record came during the uh, Obama-Clinton showdown that was so fantastic back in 2008. Uh, are, does this mean America actually is interested in, uh, in topics and substance, Eric?
5: Yeah, it's great, right? I mean, everyone was amazed by those Republican uh, debate numbers, 24, 25 million. You know, that, that not only beat debate records, that beat uh, CNN's highest program ever, you know, which was Ross Perot and Al Gore debating NAFTA, and they, like, doubled the ratings of that. Mm-hmm. So that was through the roof, and why, right? It, it's, it, was, it was Trump, it was insults, it was, it was pie-throwing, it was a circus. You compare that to last night, and so that was 25 million last night, got 15 million. Very serious, uh, interesting discussion, um, and, and so. But we should. So we should talk about the debates a little. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Um, uh, the DNC has been under a lot of pressure, getting hammered. Not enough debates. DNC's trying to hide these debates. Why aren't they marketing them better? Mm-hmm. And I think today it just dawned on me. There's an argument to be made. You know, Hillary and Obama, I, I, this is not an exaggeration, I think they debated 18, 19 times, Yeah. 2007, 2008. You do it that many times, people aren't going to tune in. So they're having six, and I think you create these media events. And my gosh, if you look at the numbers, what a typical Democratic debate a year before election was, whether it was John Kerry or, or Clinton and Obama— those those debates were getting 1.2 million viewers, right. 1.9 million viewers, because they were happening every three weeks, and people were just like, unless unless you're uh, you know on staff, uh, you know in the poli sci department, I mean seriously, who's going to watch all these?
2: Well, but well, I think I think there's
5: an argument to made the DNC kind of might have gotten it right here. If you turn these into media events, you're getting 15 million people. Watching a debate, and personally, after watching that last night, I didn't feel like I needed another nine or (laughs) ten. Not that I'm opposed to more debates, but you know the size of the field, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But no, in general, so you know, it was a great debate. It was a liberal debate, and a ton of people watched it. This is all. Good news up and down the line I
2: think that is good news and this is despite I mentioned this in the opening uh, Anderson Cooper uh, I I thought was sort of coming at pretty much every question from a uh, you know kind of a right winger angle uh, an inside perhaps inside the beltway angle uh, a villager angle as uh, as Digby might uh, might describe it uh, and one of those issues that they were of course hammering was this email nonsense. And uh, this is the clip that everyone's playing because, uh, oh gosh, Bernie came to the support of Hillary Clinton. Of course he did. This is a ridiculous issue. Let's uh, uh, play a part of part of that exchange. Number six.
0: Let me say something that may not be great politics. Hmm. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails.
4: Thank you. Me too. Me too. You know,
0: I go around the country, talk to a whole lot of people, middle class of this country is collapsing. We have 27 million people living in poverty. We have massive wealth and income inequality. The American people wanna know whether we're gonna have a democracy or an oligarchy as a result of Citizens United. Enough of the emails. Let's talk about the real issues facing America.
2: Well, that was huge. And in fact, they did talk about the real uh, issues. I got to get to a break here, but uh, very quickly, uh, Heather uh, Parton, this email nonsense has been going on and on. The, uh, the the network, the mainstream corporate media is absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, I know you look into these matters. I know Eric does. I know you guys are always right on these things because you actually pay attention to the details is there anything here in this entire, I look at it as well, I find nothing in this uh, email nonsense. It's just, you know, part of the next step of the Benghazi nonsense. I see no actual law breaking here. Uh, can we put this thing to bed or is this all Republicans uh-huh. have to go on for the next year?
4: Well, I wish we could because I agree. The way you figure these things, these Clinton-style scandals out is that you ask the person, what is it you think they did wrong? What, what's your th- Theory here, right? And and they can never tell you. Well, they're just looking, and you got to see. And they did this thing, and <laughs> it was bad, and it doesn't pass the smell test. And there's smoke, there's fire. And throw everything at the wall and make it stick you know it's just they have no real theory of what she allegedly was doing we know what she was doing what they think she was doing which was, you know saying something gossipy and juicy and really fun in those emails and they want to dig around in them that's that's it's a fishing expedition it's and not a security is issue it is.
2: it's not an outrage that she had a private email server that I, they I, all knew about because they all received well email I mean from look, her.
4: colin powell had a private email server jeb bush had it but you know i mean this is like you know this at the time, I think people don't understand just how you know new all this stuff really is. The rules have not been <laughs> explicit and and haven't you know we're we're still be evolving and so you know this is, of course, this isn't a big deal, and anybody with you know, any sentient being can see that this is a trumped up. Uh, to use a phrase, uh, Mm -hmm. right-wing scandal, as Kevin McCarthy, Kevin Loose Lips McCarthy, uh, (laughs) you know, said that this was something they were doing for political purposes. And, of course, you know, we all knew that. So did the press. But the press is very intrigued by these emails, and they are very excited because they're looking for something you know juicy that they can hang on Hillary Clinton they, you know it's rare that you get a chance to go digging around in someone's private correspondence and that's what they want to do and that is what's getting them excited so i you know i don't know if this has been put to bed but i think bernie did absolutely the, the best thing for himself and for clinton and for the party and for the country in doing what he did which is basically saying look this is nonsense and let's you know let's talk about the real thing and in doing that He, you know, I, I I was looking at the at the faces of the moderators who were all kind of whoa, you know, oh heck, you know, oh no, you know, because he basically took this out of the debate as a, a, you know, I mean, then Lincoln Chafee tried to bring it back, Clinton very deftly, I thought, you know,
2: just no. Yeah, I know. They're very disappointed. Don't worry. They'll continue talking about it, whether there's any real scandal there or not. i got to get to a quick break here. Uh, We will come back with our special coverage with uh, Heather Digby-Pardon and uh, Eric Bollert of last night's Democratic debate. And I want to talk about uh, the two different planets that the two parties now seem to be on. And I want to get both of these guys' takes on uh, whether Bernie is in fact uh, the best person uh, to run, the, the most electable Democrat, uh, which is contrary to a lot of people's thinking but if you pay attention to the issues Bernie does line up with the American people as well or better than anyone else in the race. We're going to talk about that and more after this. I'm Brad Friedman and this is your broadcast. <laughs>
1: I heard somebody say
5: burn, baby, burn Burn, baby, burn, Burn, them all burn, baby, burn
2: Yes, yes, they were feeling the burn last night in Las Vegas The uh, very first Democratic presidential debate of 2016 which we are talking about right now on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with you and with Heather Digby-Parton from Salon and Eric Bollert, from Media Matters and Desi Doyen, our producer, uh, as always. And by the way, Desi Doyen, we will talk about, uh, there was finally some climate change issues came up.
1: Yeah, for once. Debate. I mean, although, for the first time, like, ever. <laughs> and, and But I
2: figure, you know, you're always here, so we will get to talk uh, to you about that in the coming days and yeah. on the Green News Report coming up, although I found it very amusing that they had to go to a Facebook question. Yeah, for this
1: God forbid a CNN yeah. anchor should ask that question themselves. They had to, give, to field that out to the audience.
2: And the ingenious question she came up with, uh, the Facebook person, was, what would you do about climate change? <laughs> that was what they had to go to a special Facebook... Anyway, um, OK, uh, where were we here? We were talking about uh, well, the, 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 the two parties. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, you wrote about this uh, today, this morning at Salon and how this debate really underscores uh, the, the contrast between Democrats and Republicans. And uh, you said you wrote a uh, truth be told. They all seemed last night on the stage somewhat normal. And that there was little suspense. After all, nobody was waiting with bated breath to see what crazy thing one of these candidates would say next. Uh, Whereas the GOP is one big heaping mess of a political party right now. Um, Two different parties, uh, yet they're playing to the same America. Uh, How does this (laughs) what happens here in in the uh, over the coming year? Uh, do we have this huge divide? Are they just literally speaking to two separate audiences entirely at this point?
4: Well, you know, I, I don't know about, I don't know that they're speaking to two separate audiences. I mean, I suspect that there are a lot of people on both sides who are watching both both arguments. Um, but I don't, I personally don't see how this <laughs> how this changes uh in the immediate future. I mean there's a lot of structural reasons why this is happening, you know, and there are many people who you can go and read about if you want to. Read their um discussions of, you know, the House Gerrymandering and the way the parties have polarized or, or and, and certainly the Republicans have gone way way farther, uh, a point which I would suggest was partially due to Democrats kind of constantly sort of moving to the right in some vain attempt to sort of keep up. Uh, and try to find some middle, um, and and this is where we're at now. So you see, I mean, this these debates just could not be more different. You have, uh, and we've, you know, all of us here on this on this show unfortunately for us have probably watched every single debate and have followed you know everything that they've done mm-hmm. and it's very very obvious i mean you have this this crazy clown show on the right and you know led by Donald Trump and Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina their debates are these wild affairs where they're talking about you know is Rosie O'Donnell ugly and insulting one another and and you know going on and on about you know gory mayhem and and you know i mean then and, and, and Every single one of them talking about, you know, we have to start World War III. The first day in office, I will be invading Iran. You know, I mean, this is just crazy stuff. And I love and- the way you wrote
2: about it, actually, at Salon. You said, Republican America is a dystopian hellscape in which evil, violent foreigners are trying to kill us in our beds while rapacious, jackbooted government thugs try to wrestle our guns from our cold, dead fingers, and Planned Parenthood sociopaths are committing mayhem on children selling the body parts... And that's just for starters. And and that is kind of accurate, uh, Heather. That is the way they are, uh, are laying things out. And you contrast with the Democrats, which you say, well, we are a very powerful nation struggling with de- uh, declining middle class and economic security at the hands of the ultra-rich. And we need some energetic government intervention to mitigate uh, income inequality and and solve the looming crisis of climate change. Reasonable things. Uh Eric Bullard, i got to say, uh, of late, my uh, assertion has been that the GOP is no longer a legitimate governing uh, party. They have no legitimate governing philosophy. I think they're no longer a legitimate political party, or at the very best, they are a party that is coming apart at the seams before our eyes. They cannot... The, the, the two most powerful positions in the free world, President of the United States and Speaker of the U.S. House, and this party cannot come up with a single candidate, a single consensus candidate for either of these two powerful jobs. Why do we even take them seriously anymore? I'm serious. Why should we even bother watching uh, the, uh, the debates? Why do we even consider them a major party anymore?
5: Well, there, there, certainly it certainly looks like they're heading towards the Barry Goldwater cliff uh, and that they are not, they're certainly not going to deal with reality or try to reform itself be, between now and 2016. They will run a Trump or a Carson or a Cruz or a, or a, a Mario, uh, Marco Rubio. And if you just look at electoral math, the country that just elected Barack Obama twice and is becoming even less white, uh, <laughs> that is not going to be a map that's going to be kind uh, to the Republican party but you know and and then I don't know maybe after that they'll they'll deal with it you know they pretended that that they were going to deal with it after they were so shocked mitt romney lost in an electoral landslide instead of doing anything in terms of dealing with the latino vote or anything right <laughs> logical uh they're, they're you know they're just sprinting towards the cliff so but what's interesting is and you know, I't Eric I, I, yeah. I don't
2: even mean that Eric, by way of saying that uh, you know I, I disagree with them because I've always disagreed with Republicans yeah, right I, I mean, they no, don't yeah, seem right. to be le- a legitimate party anymore.
5: Well no this, and, and this is an outgrowth of uh, a couple things. I mean, when Obama was inaugurated, they decided you know we are going to rip up everything the rule book in terms how in terms of how Congress works in terms of how cabinet posts are, are uh, approved, how legislation is approved, how anything is approved. So they threw out any notion of, you know, public policy and things like that. So if you go back to the 90s, yes, they were crazy. Yes, there was Newt. Yes, there was the Revolution. But there was still, like, this very vigorous brawl about, med- you know, about mm-hmm. welfare, about guns, and, and, and all those things. Um, if you look at now, there, you know, there is no policy debate anymore on anything. Right. I mean, the Republican Party has walked away from all of that. And and now, and, uh, under Obama, and they've strictly become this sort of radical obstructionist. But when it, be, when it comes to time to sort of fire up a national campaign, you realize they don't have, you know, the normal tools at their disposal because they either threw them all away or haven't used them in forever. And so, you know, that Republican bait just becomes um, sort of comical. So, I, I, and, and, and one last point about the press, you know, the press continues to grasp to this model. You know, they desperately want to tell the story of center-left Democrats are battling center-right Republicans, right? They've, they've clung to that model for decades. If you watch that Republican debate, that is not a center-right Party anymore. Right. Uh, And and, and so the press is very nervous. They feel very, I think, restricted about what they can say about the Republican Party. If they tell the truth about what's happening, then oh my gosh, it's the liberal media bias and and they're going to come under attack. Um, So it's obvious to us what's happening in terms of this Republican implosion. The press is very, very uh, nervous and frankly just afraid to come out and tell the truth, I
2: think. And, and yeah, and I think that is why uh, they were so taken off guard by Trump's rise. And, I actually, uh, Heather was on, on this show, on the broadcast, the day that Trump got in, and we both sort of agreed that, hey, yeah, this this Trump guy is probably going to do pretty well in what has become of the Republican Party. And, uh, meanwhile, the Beltway Press just had no idea. They thought it was a joke. Oh, he's never going to, you know, he'll drop out next week. He's not going to be a uh, popular... They have been underestimating how far off the Republican Party has gone off the rails, I think, not just in this cycle, but now for years. And it drives me absolutely nuts that they treat them with the same uh, regard as they always have, as if they're a legitimate party. I don't think they are. Anyway, I've got a, w- one more uh, thought I want to run uh, through both of you guys Um our legal analyst at uh, Bradblog.com, uh, Ernie Canning, uh, he's been making the argument that Sanders, and it's sort of an argument that a lot of the uh, Sanders supporters are making, that Sanders is the best situated to win a general election against a Republican. Uh, and and this mostly chalked up to the fact that polls show his, his positions on the issues really are most in line with the American public on issue after issue, whether the American public realizes that or not. So uh, is he right? Does uh, Ernie Canning have a point there that that Bernie Sanders is better positioned to take on the Republicans and that once America gets uh, uh, to see Bernie, many more people will will come to appreciate that? Uh, or is there something more than simply issues when it comes to uh presidential races in this country let's uh well let's start with you heather on that
4: um yeah well i mean one would think so but of course that isn't how politics in america works there are two factors here the first is that you know people vote for a lot more than just positions on issues they vote on it they have a whole set of heuristic uh characteristics that they look for in leadership and and there are many reasons why they might look at it at both clinton and sanders as be is either lacking or having those characteristics so you can't you, you know if if people uh if, if it were all about people agreeing with the uh you know the platform of your standard uh left-wing democrat that we would have a, a huge majority in the congress and we would never lose the presidential race because they always agree on an issue by issue basis there's another part, of course, which is that you know Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton will not be running unopposed. and as a result uh, they will be defined uh, the other side will try to define them in certain ways. I suspect that Bernie Sanders many votes, many comments, many statements he's made over the years will be used uh, to uh, portray him as something other than a mainstream person. Uh, Clinton as well, she'll be you know portrayed as something other than a uh, anything you know, other than, you know, a corrupt and, uh, you know, evil human being. Um, And then there's the press, which also puts their thumb on the scales as well. So, no, you know, it would be nice if it were that simple, um, but it isn't. So when you're making those assessments about electability, uh, it's based upon a whole lot of other things. There is one thing that's very, very clear, though. If you are running for president, you have to assemble a coalition within your own party to win the nomination, And that coalition in in the Democratic Party uh, is, you know, it's a big, you know, wide coalition full of very, you know, many different kinds of people. At the moment, Sanders is lacking in his ability to assemble that coalition to beat Hillary Clinton. And it's the same problem that, ironically, Hillary Clinton had when uh, fighting um, Barack obama back in two thousand eight um, and so unless he can do something about that and i and i have no idea if he can i mean he seems very sincere to me on all those issues all those issues uh... having to do with you know people of color and immigration and all this stuff but that is that is the way you do it and it's a, you know it's something you just sit there with a spreadsheet and go who can i get to vote for me out of this big democratic coalition and how do i put together a majority and so far It does not appear from the polling that we've seen that Sanders has been able to do that, but we've got a long way to go, so I wouldn't count him out.
2: Well, we do have a long way to go, but of course that has to do with the primary, and the question is, you know, if uh, he is able one way or another to to get that nomination— when it comes down to the general election, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that that coalition, uh, you know, the African-American community that may be supporting uh, Hillary Clinton right now, they're not going to start voting for the Republican in the general. So, uh, Eric, I've got only about 30 seconds or so here, but let me get your take on this when it comes down to the general elections, uh, to the general election, uh, you know, they're going to attack burn whether it's bernie or hillary they're going to throw everything they can at that candidate so ultimately is it issues uh or something else entirely these days that uh ends up determining a, a general election and and is is bernie better or worse situated than hillary clinton to win that general election
5: well, well i think uh, heather is right uh, on all those points and and look i mean when you get to the general election let's it's just call it what it is it's entertainment i mean this is this is an american pastime at this point uh... and you um, can't just run on you know these policies match up with these policy you, you, you gotta have a star quality you gotta have an amazing production team behind you for better or for worse this is how it happens you have to have the best uh... and you know i'm not you know the question is would bernie be able to take on, you know, the onslaught. You know, one of the things that people noticed, that I think a lot of people noticed at the debate last night was, wow, she's good. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just basically, she's really good. She's a pro. She's smart. She's quick on her feet. And as she has emphasized, and she was talking to this point last night, I have faced these people, these Republicans, for 20 years, and I'm still standing and I'm still fighting. I think an implicit point might be, I don't think anyone on this stage would still be standing if they, if they were under the kind of onslaught. I, have, I and my husband have been. Clinton's pride themselves on this. You cannot knock them down. We're going to keep fighting. And I think, there's, there's a, I think that's a, a legitimate point when you're talking about a general election and what Republicans will do. When the White House is in
2: play. The fight and the entertainment will no doubt continue for a long, man, what are we, 11, 12, 13, 14 months ahead. <laughs> no. uh, yes. Get, <laughs> buckle up, Heather. Uh, Eric Bollert, senior fellow at Media Matters for America. Check him out. Of course, his work at MediaMatters.org. And on the Twitters, you must follow Eric there, at Eric Bollert. And Heather Digby Parton, uh, Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo. Hullabaloo. And of course, Salon, uh, check her uh, Digby uh, Hullabaloo out at digbiesblog.blogspot.com and on the Twitters at digby56. Thanks, guys. Always great to talk to both of you, and I hope we will do it again soon.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having
2: me. You bet. All right, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. And, of course, to Salon's Heather Digby-Parton and Media Matters' Eric Bollert. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it at bradblog.com. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at TheBradBlog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody wants to move.